You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. Today, we're listening in on a discussion Tom had with Sean Rubin, who's the recent recipient of the iNACOL Outstanding Individual Contribution to Personalized Learning Award winner and the CEO at the Highlander Institute. Sean shares more about his work in the podcast, but in sum, along with his team at Highlander, Sean is leading the personalized and blended learning implementation and educator development work in Rhode Island. The work Sean is doing in Rhode Island is definitely worth sharing, and we're excited to shine a light today on all that they have accomplished so far and how a growing network of fellows is fueling real change in schools. All right, let's listen in as Tom and Sean talk. Sean Rubin, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Sean, what, tell us about Highlander Institute. All right. Highlander Institute is a nonprofit. We're located in Providence, Rhode Island. We're uber focused on implementation. And you're really a, a statewide um, learning focused organization. Yes. I, I often cite you as being sort of the best example of a, a, the best friend a state could have. Yeah, I mean, we've been very lucky in Rhode Island, uh, both from a you know proximity standpoint, the size of the state, but also the players that have been in in position at the Department of Education. Um, you know, having our governor there to to open up the Office of Innovation, and we've just got some really progressive-minded uh, district leaders, and but really the heart of our ability to kind of scale this work across the state has been the teachers. Um, just some incredible teacher leaders that are really pushing this work, thinking about it very thoughtfully, not getting distracted by the bells and whistles, and just really focused on what is best for students and how do we change the student experience to be better. Where were you a teacher? Yeah, I taught, um, I was a founding faculty member at the Highlander Charter School, which is a separate organization from the Highlander Institute. Uh, I taught uh, lots of different grades from elementary through middle, but spent most of my time in kindergarten, which is really wow. where I belong. Yeah. That's great. Um, you, you've been at Highlander like seven years? Highlander Institute. I came out of the classroom in 2011. Yeah, so it's, it's going on six years now. And um, what, what was the focus when you joined? What, what was it and what was attractive about that? Yeah, well, I had actually um, come up with an idea for a mobile formative assessment app while I was a classroom kindergarten teacher in 2010. And I shopped it around to everybody I knew at the time that was developing apps. And, you know, it was when the first generation iPad had come out and really wanted a better way to measure my students around their competencies and be able to regroup. And so we came up with this idea and I found out I had an amazing co-founder named Stephanie Castilla and the two of us, in order to be able to make the, the startup work, we had to find a way of, um, you know, being able to, to be successful as an organization outside of the classroom. And so we just started running workshops on uh, how to integrate technology. And then we got the model school grant for blended learning at that the state rolled out under the old commissioner, Deborah Gist, in, uh, in 2012. And that was really the, the onset of blended learning in, in Rhode Island and really helped us kind of accelerate from there. Uh, tell us about the, the Fuse Fellows. When did that program start? Yeah, so what happened was, as we were doing a lot of these workshops um, early on in like 2012 and 2013, we had um, you know, an early following that was uh, really just doing some incredible stuff with duct tape and paper clips in classrooms, you know, like 
early smart boards and early uh, iPads, things that were just really wonky and, and not working as well. But they were so excited about the idea that we could have, we could move away from the tradi- traditional teacher center model. We could start having kids create their own media and, and make things and use robotics and explore with coding. And, and so these teachers kind of inspired us and, and they inspired us in the sense that most of them, when they told their stories, were running into roadblocks at either their building leadership level or their district leadership level because they just didn't get, they couldn't see a pathway for how what was happening in these teachers' classrooms could be scaled across their building or district. And so the Fuse Fellowship was an opportunity for us to reinvest in their vision as, as, as educators in the classroom. We would pull them, and, and when we first started doing this in 2013, we really had no no framework for this work. We really just wanted to empower these teachers. So we pulled them out of their home district um, and they only came out for about a hundred hours and five days over the core uh, per year for two years. And we would partner them with another teacher from another district. And then the two of them together would go in as a team to a third district that was really interested in moving the needle on blended and personalized learning. And they would do change management, coaching supports to that district admin team. Um, and Th- those are really interesting insights. I don't think there's anybody in the country that's doing it exactly that way of part- partnering teachers from different districts. Yeah. The team into a third district. And we were adamant about that, but you know, there was a lot of pushback in the beginning. District leaders would say things to us like, I'm not giving you my best person to you to send them somewhere else. But right. what they found in the end was that, first of all, you're never a sage in your own land. And second of all, what it created was a network of best practice movement right. across the state. Well, you the, got a bunch of teachers out looking at great schools and yep. you and I have both found that school visits are the best way to learn. Exactly, exactly. And really getting more confident as they went. And through that confidence, coming back into their home districts, you know, really then able to have those conversations with their own principals and their own district leaders to say like, listen, I've seen this. I know how this can work. Let's try this. And so we, you, you would see the double acceleration both in their home districts and in the districts they were supporting. So how many uh, Fuse Fellows are there now? So we just launched our fourth cohort this year, and we're up to 82 uh, fellows total across the state. I think the most exciting part about it is that we have 66 LEAs in Rhode Island, uh, districts and charters, and we are now either supporting or pulling teacher pulling Fuse Fellows from 44 of those LEAs. So that now means that we have strong um strong, deep understanding of this work, um, really in a lot, a pretty high density across most places across the state at this point. So you guys are, uh, you're a small state, but this feels like a model that, that really could be replicated in any region. Yeah. And we've had success in a couple other locations. Uh, Syracuse, uh, New York has actually run their own internal district fuse fellowship where they pulled some of these early adopter teachers into a, a fellowship and now are in their second cohort. And we just got a contract to do this with um, the TEC in Massachusetts. Um, they're going to be working with um, between 11 and 14 districts across that um, southern part of Massachusetts. And it's going to be a similar model where they give a fellow and, and that fellow then goes into another district and does this work. So we have seen uh, we've seen districts like Fulton and in Georgia uh, use even more density than this, like several teachers in in each building. Um, but do, do you have 
do you have a belief or any evidence, even if it's anecdotal, that um, that this is having transformational potential? Like, w- make the case for why other regions should yeah should do this. I mean, I think that you know, at the end of the day, when you're making a major shift like this, when the actual pathway forward is still so nascent in terms of the fact that we don't really know what this stuff ultimately is going to look like and it's evolving every day and there's so much iterative change that needs to happen really you know you can you can get a a cohort of, of strong teachers in a particular building or in a particular district to carry forward a plan um, and you're going to benefit the students in those classrooms are going to benefit immediately from that shift in, in culture but what we're creating i think that's really been powerful is is it like a, a statewide R&D engine in the sense that as new initiatives come, you know, through the state, let's say, you know, the summit, um, the summit public schools expanding their their platform and their model. Rhode Island has been able to to take that in, digest it, analyze it, vet it very strongly, be able to talk about the places where it's working and where it has strong potential and the places where it's not the right fit, because the level of discourse and, and dialogue around this work, I think, is at a a higher level than it is in most locations. I'll give you another example. It's almost, uh, you know, kind of that, that pyramid scheme model, but it's uh, it, it, in a good way. Um, we have a, a fellow uh, named Deb Ram who came out of our very first cohort of Fuse Fellows. And Deb has, you know, was a fourth grade teacher. She was doing some incredible maker stuff in her classroom on a daily basis. Like her green screen was just part of her her daily um, experience. Uh, stop motion animation was a way that students would represent their understanding of science concepts. Um, Deb was an incredible fourth grade teacher. And, but in addition, she, you know, she knew that there was more she could do to move the needle in her district with other teachers. And so she's now essentially started her own Fuse Fellowship within the Johnston Public Schools. She's got her team of initial, what she calls Lighthouse Classroom Cohort that has been uh, really doing a ton of iteration around this model in some pretty traditional schools. And now she's even got a lot of those teachers to a point where they're now inviting more people into their classrooms, going in and supporting peers and next door. So that that ability for Deb to learn those change management and coaching strategies through the fellowship has really been a, you know, a really super low cost opportunity for her district to move the needle. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where today we're hearing from an interview with Tom and Sean Rubin from the Highlander Institute. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out our podcast from the iNACLIN Symposium last year. You can find it on iTunes Store under Season 1, Episode 15, called The Future of Blended Learning. Don't worry, we'll link to it in the show notes below and on the blog. Now let's hear more from Tom and Sean as they pick back up and to dive into why networks are so powerful when it comes to making real change in classrooms today. What's your sense of how this rolls up to a a school model or even a, a district model? Well, there's a lot of different ways that we're playing with this right now, and we're, we're open to any ideas that other folks have as well. So, you know, I would say if you have an idea for how we can do this, get in touch. But what we have essentially is we understand a framework for change. 
Um, and that's essentially what the, the model of Fuse rests upon. This idea that you have to vision first, you have to determine and understand what the classroom level look fors are that you're, you're driving on. And then you, you, you recruit those early adopters for pilots and you start to coach those pilots up to, and learn from a continuous improvement cycle throughout the course of those pilots. So you can put that model into play um, in, a, in an individual school building, right? It, as long as you have somebody who's the lead change agent that's going to be the person helping to kind of drive the, the visioning conversation and drive the, the data collection side of the conversation, um, you can do it there. I think the, the value of doing it cross-district or cross-building, again, is the movement of best practice. I think that too often we're siloed in this work, and as I was mentioning before, there's just too many unknowns right now with regard to personalized learning for us to pretend like we can figure this out on our own. So I've seen a, a lot of really great um, elementary and middle classrooms in Rhode Island. Uh, it seems like it's harder at the high school level. Is that fair? Yeah, I would definitely say What kind say of that's progress fair. are you seeing there? Well, we did just start a, a new grant um, supported by the Nellie May Education Foundation um, to explore high school specifically. And so we have a program now that it's an extension of our FUSE fellowship called FUSE Architect, which is really a high school redesign uh, model. And we started, um, you know, with a design you know, design thinking approach where teams of teachers were um, were asked to kind of, you know, come into kind of a cohort model within their own building. They went through this design process and then they were partnered with uh, EdSurge to help kind of figure out what might be the education technology. Uh, we called it like a, the Nellie May wanted to talk about it as like a full stack of, of technologies that could help to support that design that they came up with. You know, we've run into a bunch of bumps in the road. Uh, you know, high school is tricky in terms of like when those schedule, the times of years those schedules get set, who, who, what teachers are assigned where, the amount of time that teachers can have with students is so, um, you know, so short in terms of 45 minute blocks and, and not seeing the students for So there's a lot of, lot of pieces, but what's been able to happen with this redesign is that, you know, we have one school in particular that took three teachers and 75 students and created their own Fuse Academy within one of the largest high schools in Providence. And what we're seeing there in terms of the culture building, in terms of the ability, the, the, the depth of conversation around um, identity and interest that's able to happen in those classrooms, um, in, the, in that super small, um, super small cohort model within the larger, within the larger structure, that's the, the groundwork that has to happen at the high schools. I think that too many high schools are trying to skin this through software, through um, you know, credit recovery software, through um, just thinking that if I can put the content into an asynchronous format that then my students will want to learn more. And what we're finding is that at high school, these are, these are self-actualized individuals that want to be treated, you know, as, as, as individuals. And so what personalized learning is at high school is it's getting the culture right first. It's really making those students understand that their voice is, is crucial to this. And that ultimately, if they are able to demonstrate the habits of success that are necessary, that, that agency is possible. And I think that's ultimately what has to be at the end of the, at the end of the, um, the rope for them is they have to know that there's a pathway to agency within these models. And so that's what we're trying and attempting to do through this Fuse Architect model, bringing a ton of student voice to the table having the design teams with students there and focus groups where student feedback is constantly coming back to the model. Um, I think that's the key. Yeah, that's great advice. A, a lot of us 10 years ago, seven years ago, got really excited about 
blended learning, got really focused on platform and technology, and then saw some really disappointing classrooms where instead of paper worksheets, kids had digital worksheets and they were clicking through content and then clicking through multiple choice exams and exactly. low voice, low choice, low agency, low engagement. Yep. Um, and we, we keep coming back to student teacher relationships are really key. Uh, teacher as facilitator, engaging kids in meaningful work, asking them to do uh, work they may not have imagined themselves being able to. Yeah. And figuring out how to bring more adults into the picture for kids. Yeah. That's the other issue is that there's just not enough adults to to build the 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 small relationships that need to happen or yep. and the tight relationships that need to happen with students. So that's the other thing we're trying to figure out now is like how can technology enable that? How can technology enable more um, col collisions between adults and students, whether they be community members, whether they be other you know members of the faculty and any in a school building, but maybe not necessarily classroom teachers. But those um, those opportunities for students to have people that that care about the work they're doing yeah. and care about their ideas and interests and, and identities is is crucial yeah it's super important and and we both know this is this is really hard for schools to uh to facilitate on their own to pro procure those kinds of business partnerships those mentorships but we we recently wrote about um, examples of teenagers doing world-class work there is not an example of that happening where kids aren't engaging in meaningful ways with community members in a relationship where they can tell them, no, that's not good enough, right? And so getting tough feedback against sort of world-class expectations, but in this safe and supportive way seems super important if you want kids to do really great work. Yeah. And it... it pulls the you know for teachers it's very difficult because i think right now especially in rhode island where common core is like at the high school level a thousand miles wide and not very deep yeah. you know it's it's adults that have a different way of thinking about what matters and though you know not to take anything away from high school teachers that are that are busting their butts to to get students to a place where they can pass their exams and get their ap's and do all the things necessary but when you bring in an adult that has a different perspective on what quality is, what creation is, what um, you know, what co what collaboration is, then then you really are able to start expanding students' thinking, and and oftentimes the student it resonates with the students in a way that it just the teacher is is unable to in some some capacity. So I think that figuring those out is is crucial. So what's the goal in Rhode Island? Is it is it a college for all goal or is it more nuanced than that? How There's you... actually some really interesting stuff happening in Rhode Island right now. Um, the Department of Education has been really pushing on a couple initiatives that are super exciting. The first one is um, they're working on um, K-12 proficiencies that would be, you know, bundled um, opportunities, you know, whether at the standard level that students can can demonstrate proficiencies that um, really would require a lot of like performance assessment. So really pushing on this, pushing on the teachers, pushing on the districts to to not settle for, you know, mastery means that you pass this multiple choice assessment, but really how do, how do we going to demonstrate the, the, the mastery of these proficiencies? So that's one piece. The second piece is that the there was just some legislation passed around um, 
actual pathways and that you can now graduate in uh, from a Rhode Island high school with actual certified pathways um, on your transcript. So they might be a STEAM pathway or it might be an arts pathway or it might be a language pathway. But they're, these are really exciting because they're encouraging um, schools and districts to find ways to think about um, student opportunities that are internship driven, job driven, um, but also dual enrollment opportunities. So there's lots of dual, um, we have what's called the advanced course network where students can enroll in free courses that, you know, on just an insane range of topics, all of which tie back to these pathways. So not just do you graduate with a high school diploma, but you might graduate with a high school diploma that also says you have these particular pathways, which tells your employer, tells your, your college, tells, um, you know, really helps you understand what direction you want to be headed or maybe under- helps you understand what direction you don't want to be headed as you, as you leave your uh, K-12 environment. So what what's next for Highlander and Rhode Island? Yeah, well, I think, you know, in Rhode Island, we, we want to continue to expand the network of, of Fuse Fellows. We've got, um, you know, we have now have a principal um, program that we're running where we're, we're helping leaders called Fuse Leader. We want to continue to work to get to every single district that, that wants support around the change management piece for blended and personalized. And, you know, we'll continue to scale that same way off the off the energy and efforts of the of the teacher leaders and, and the district folks that are really forward thinking on this stuff. But I think for the Institute, the question for us is where where else is ready for this kind of uh, engagement? And what does that look like for us in terms of are we going to engage directly with districts? Are we going to engage with uh, nonprofits that are that are like us, that have strong relationships in in other um, in other states and cities um, and help them think about how how they can they can take some of our models and, and scale them themselves. So you know we really are just excited to partner right now with anybody that's interested and open um, around this work and, and shares a similar mentality around how how we move the needle for students and and how we change the user experience at the classroom level. Sean, I was with you last week in Orlando when uh, you received uh, an award from INACOL for your contribution to uh, to personalized learning. Um, that, that was pretty cool to see. That was um, incredibly humbling. It was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I I got a lot of credit for a lot of work that a lot of incredible people on our team are doing and that are happening across the state. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that opportunity, but I, I definitely want to make sure that it's known that this is a, this is an effort of a lot of people. It is. There's there's clearly um, Rhode Island's a very interesting ecosystem. Uh, you you've had some great chiefs. You you have uh, a great governor who's really passionate about this. Highlanders got a, a great ED. Uh, you've had the chance to work with uh, the Learning Accelerator. You've caught the attention of uh, some foundations. Uh, you've got a, a business community that's committed. Um, higher Ed has come to the table. Uh, so you really have all the pieces in place to, that have contributed to the progress that you've been hoping for. But uh, we we like to think Sean Rubin's uh, kind of in the middle of that hurricane. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I do. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast. No, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. So what do you think? Sean is pretty impressive, right? Yeah, I just love hearing about how passionate he is about the work that they're doing in Rhode Island. 
We love featuring dedicated educators like Sean who are doing real work and empowering others to move us all forward. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate us on iTunes and check out other episodes. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica and Caroline signing off.